following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Amen. You stand up. You're awesome people. And it's 8.03 and uh, 8.30 is coming quickly. And uh, we love you very much. For all you that are watching online, we appreciate that very, very much. Our online listening is absolutely jumping up. We've got uh, a full house on Sunday now that listens. And we have people listening all around the globe. It's amazing how that the church in South Austin has reached out with our with our online uh, viewing and people are picking it up and, and seeing it. Uh, in fact, in fact, somebody walked up to me Sunday on the porch said, are you the celebrity preacher? <laughs> and I said, no, sir, I don't believe I am. I celebrate Jesus, but I'm not the celebrity preacher. And he said, well, I, just, I read that you were, so I came to see the celebrity preacher. I said, get in here. You're the celebrity. You. <laughs> I don't know if he's here tonight, but if he's back tonight, I welcome him also. What a joy to see all of you. My friend James Isbell's in the house. I truly love him as a brother in Christ. And uh, he's awesome. He really is. And Luke, thank you, sir. And Luke Meadows, our, new, our newbie here in church. You folks, wait till you hear that kid sing. Wow, he's got pipes. And he's come to help us and be a part of what we're doing. He is also a great person with, with all kinds of technology. And he helps Randy and he helps Blake and... He's kind of their, their stand-in guy to help them. His parents are in the house tonight, Mr. and Miss Meadows. Would you give them a hand tonight? They came all the way from Dallas, and we're happy to have them. Amen. And while you're clapping, my sweet wife's in the house tonight, and I love her. And by the way, we're happy to have you tonight. I, I uh, one, one person came in, I don't want to call names because if I start calling names, then somebody will be hurt because I didn't call their name because they said something cute to me on the porch also. <laughs> but this one person came in and said, Pastor, I just love coming here and knowing what we're going to get tonight. And I love that. And our music is always so spectacular and sometimes I know that I don't do as well as I could. But at the same time, you know when you walk in the house tonight, there's going to be something here that's going to bless you mightily and take you the next three or four days that you need in your life and to make you a greater, greater Christian by the grace and the mercy of God. So we're going to talk tonight. We're doing a September to remember, a September to remember. We first Wednesday night, we talked about when God remembered, you know, the first time the word remembered is in the Bible is when God remembered Noah. And when the flood came and destroyed the whole world, Noah was remembered by God because he found grace. He found favor in the eyes of God. Amen. And God allowed him to land upon a mountaintop. Not only did God take him through the storm, he let him land on a mountaintop. And they still can't find the ark because it's so high and it's so disguised. It'll, it'll probably never be found, but I believe that. I believe the story. And then last week we talked about what we should bury and what we should float in our life. We talked about the USS Arizona is at the bottom of Pearl Harbor and the USS Missouri is on top pointing its guns down to USS Arizona. And the Mo, the mighty Mo, was where Jap Japanese people surrendered in 1945 and the war was over. So we float the success of Missouri and we sink the failure of the Arizona. But Paul turned that around. He said, I'm not going to float my successes. 
I've got seven superiorities I could talk about in my life, but I'm not going to float those. I'm going to float my failures because I want everybody to know no matter how great I am in my person and in my, in my superiorities of the flesh, I need Jesus in my life more than anything in this world. And he told his young son, Timothy, I am the chief sinner. And all of us need to understand that without the grace of God, we wouldn't be here tonight. What a joy. And so I'm going to preach tonight and teach tonight. Remember the taste. Everybody say, remember the taste. <laughs> Psalms chapter 42 in the NIV said, As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throne. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, and from Mount Mazar. I love that phrase. I love Psalms 42. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. And I'll, I will not hold you long, I promise. Let's, let's have church here tonight. All right. God bless you. You may be seated. Sunday morning is going to be a great, great day. This Sunday we're dedicating 25 babies in third service. It's going to be incredible. We, we dedicated 37, the last dedication. If I know my math right, that's about 62 kids. This is a happy church. It doesn't take a scholar to recognize that. Years ago in an old stodgy community, a new doctor came to town and it was said he could cure anything in anybody. And everyone was amazed at what he could do. Everybody except one person, old Mr. Sweeney, the town skeptic. One day old Mr. Sweeney went to this miracle doctor to prove that he wasn't anybody special, that he was a a, a, a charlatan. And he went and told the doctor, hey doc, I've lost my sense of taste. I can't taste anything. Can you help me? And the doctor scratched his head, mumbled to himself, and then told Mr. Sweeney, what you need, sir, is jar number 47. The doctor turned to his shelf of medicine, took down a jar, and told Mr. Sweeney to put some of that in his mouth. And immediately Sweeney spit it out and said, this is gross, he yelled. (laughs) Well, Mr. Sweeney said, the doctor, I believe I just restored your sense of taste. (laughs) Pretty sharp doctor, wasn't it? Mr. Swinney was angry, went home and fumed about his failure. Three months later, the old man believed he had a solution to his problem and went back to see the doctor. He said, Doc, I've been having problems with my memory. I can't seem to remember anything anymore. Mr. Swinney was pleased with himself. He just knew he had finally stumped this new doctor. And he waited as the doctor scratched his head, mumbled to himself a little, and then finally the doctor went over to the shelf and had held his medicines and said aloud, Mr. Swinney, I believe what you need is jar number 47. And when the doctor turned around, Mr. Sweeney was no longer there. (laughs) He remembered. He remembered. The doctor cured Mr. Sweeney. See, he didn't really suffer from taste or memory problems. His problem lay much deeper than that. But whatever problem he really had, that day he received his healing. He got it. What healed Mr. Sweeney was the memory of how something 
tasted. How it tasted. God's word teaches us that one of the best ways to fix things that are wrong in our lives and to heal the wounds of our soul is to remember certain things. I love to read after Anthony Campolo. He is a sociology professor up in the Northeast. He also is one of the a staff pastor at a wonderful black church in that area, and he's on staff, and many of you have heard his sermon. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And, 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 and those kids love him because he teaches more than just sociology in the college. He teaches them the Christ factor without ever having to mention the Christ. He teaches them the Christ factor. And many of those kids say, Dr. Campolo, would you marry us? And he said, I'll marry those kids on one condition. He said that I can do the traditional wedding vows, that they don't, said these kids come up with all these vows now, you know, I promise to love the dog and I promise to love you. And, but he said, if I can do the traditional wedding vows, he said, it's neat stuff. He said, the reason I want that is because not only is that bride and groom at that wedding, but there's people there that I want to repeat those vows in their head when I repeat them to this couple. For better, for worse, for richer, or poor, sickness, and in health. It's always good to remember why you got married. Scholars believe that Psalms 42 was written by David in one of those darkest times of his life. See, years before Psalms 42, David had made a bad choice. He had committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And as a result, her husband was killed and her marriage was seriously damaged. And his family also, his family was seriously damaged. And 13 major tragedies, I'm going to say it again, 13 major tragedies followed because of that one sin in David's life. Now because of that sin, he's lost his home. He's lost his crown. He's lost his prestige. He's no longer king of Israel. His son Absalom has turned against him and he has coaxed the people of Israel to follow after him and he's been run out of Jerusalem and he's now hiding in the wilderness all because of sin. And he comes to a crossroad in his life and he has a choice to make. How's he gonna respond to this tragedy? And the choice that David made is intriguing because it's not the kind of choice that a lot of people make today. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about two things that people do today when they run into tragedy, when they run into situations in their life that seem out of control. And I'm gonna talk to you and I want you to perk up, lean up and listen in right now. David didn't do what I'm about to tell you a lot of people do. See, a lot of people respond to tragedies of their life by becoming angry at God get angry at God. That's what I'm going to do. They lash out at him. They deny his existence. They say he doesn't even exist. If you love me, you wouldn't do this to me. They see God is somehow responsible for the hardship and pain they're experiencing. And in David's case, that was probably partly true because David had sinned and God was bringing a punishment against him because of it. However, many people who suffer aren't being punished by God. I can name you people in this congregation that have suffered in their life and they have not sinned in their life and they're not being punished by God in their life. But somehow most view God as being to blame for their torment and because they blame God, they feel a need to hurt God. They become like an old Mr. Sweeney and they try to discredit the only one who can heal them. Can I stop and just tell you right now, whatever you're going through tonight, Whatever you're going through tonight, don't point your finger at God and say it's all your fault. Don't be angry at him and don't say, God, I blame you, but lift up your hands and say, God, 
Nobody can help me like you can help me right now. I'm gonna trust you even though I am slain in this situation. I will trust you. Oh, I wanna talk tonight. They become bitter people, angry people. They hurl insults at the heavens, forever attempting to hurt God by denying the fact that he exists or discrediting his power. And they cast away their faith thinking that this will help in some way to make up for the pain. I read about a man who shortly after the death of his wife, a minister preached a sermon and he said this, I don't understand this life of ours. Hear this. But still less can I comprehend how people in trouble and in loss and in bereavement can throw away their faith in God. He said in God's name, throw it where? Throw it where? Have we not lost enough without losing that too? Then I put this in, in parentheses and I put this on the screen. People in the sunshine, he said, may believe in the faith, but people in the shadow must believe in the faith. And if you're walking in shadows tonight, don't you lift up your voice against God. Don't you walk away from your faith. Don't you deny the fact that God exists in your world. I promise you he's alive and well and he's in the heavens and he's in this earth. He's everywhere. He covers all space and time. And I promise you, you hear me, the, my favorite name for almighty Jehovah is Jehovah Shammah, which means that he is here. He's there. Uh, he may not heal you right when you think you ought to be healed. He may not provide for you when you think you ought to have provision. But I tell you what he will do. He'll be there for you. He'll be here for you. And you can reach out and touch him because he wants you to know that he is here in your midst right now. Come on, clap your hands all over this house. Don't you get mad at God. He said there's nothing else. Many people turn against God in their darkest hour. And I want you to know something. People in this church that I have pastored have walked away from God because of that. Now, I know people just leave because of no reason at all sometimes, and you can't help that, but I can't stand it when people leave because they feel like that God hadn't met their challenge and met their needs. He said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. You know, this is not an abnormal response to pain and tragedy, though it really isn't. In fact, experts tell us that one of the major stages of grief is anger toward God. And, and I don't think God's particularly offended by this. He's a pretty big God. Job got upset with his tragedy. You know, I testify, I want to testify that I got upset with mine. I was a young man. I didn't know everything, and I don't know everything now, but I know more than I did then. But words like this is what one gets, Lord, for sacrificing and giving oneself for the word and for the Lord and for the work of God. I get this. This is what I get. And I can't remember the time it happened, but it happened so many times when God stepped up and said, son, if you just believe me, just trust in me, I will bring you out of this like you never have believed I could bring you out of this. And I begin to discover that I have a big God in my life. I begin to discover he has big shoulders and I begin to discover that he loves me deeper than I could ever imagine in my life. And I stand here tonight preaching a gospel to people because I understood something back then. I didn't cast away my confidence. I didn't throw my anger at him. I didn't deny that he existed, but I had a lot of questions, but I'm here to declare to you. I've remembered something in my life and I'm gonna preach about that in a little while, but I remembered something in my life that I could never get away from and it brought me to where I am today because the thing that I wanted to forget, I couldn't forget him. I remembered something fabulous about him in my life. 
So people get angry at God, angry at God. If anger and bitterness continue in any great length of time in your life, it'll hurt you because bitterness has a root. It's hard to get a root of bitterness out of you. Boy, I feel this tonight. So not only do people blame God, not only do they get angry at God, but another thing David could have done, but he didn't. Many people dwell on the sin that brought them to this point in their life. Now let me, let me preach here. These are two things that people do when things come heavy against you. This is the second one. This is the last one. A lot of people do this. They start recollecting and remembering the smallest of infractions against God. They seem to sense that if God is punishing them, they might as well just pile on to, to themselves so they drudge up any past sin or indiscretion that they can think of. That doesn't even seem to be logical, but it does happen. One of the greatest writers that I've ever read after is a man named Dr. Paul Brand who worked in India with lepers, lepers and uh, this Hansen's disease, leprosy. In an interview, Dr. Brand was asked to give examples of people who had undergone this tremendous suffering of leprosy. And after he had cited some examples in detail, he was asked whether their suffering had turned them toward God or turned them away from God. And hesitating, Dr. Brand said that there was no common reaction. But he, but he said some grew closer to God and others bitterly drifted away from God. But the difference, and you've got to get this now, you might want to put this on your refrigerator Dr. Brand said was based upon their attitude toward cause and response. Everybody say cause. Everybody say response. He said those who keep looking back, kept looking back asking, why did this happen? What did I do to deserve this? Why am I being punished? And where is the justice in life? Those questions, if they were asked, he said they were usually the ones who bitterly turned away from God and resigned themselves to fatalistic despair. I'm preaching to somebody in this house tonight. I know that I am. And the sufferers, he said, who grew closer to God in their suffering were those who could put the question of cause behind them and focus on their response. Hallelujah. They were the ones who could say to themselves, okay, okay, this suffering's not, it's not easy. It's terrible. And it hurts and it isn't fair and there's no justice, okay? But now I face a challenge in my life. Can I look ahead and with God's help seek to find his work, seek to find his mercy, seek to find his grace and his glory and his goodness in every moment of my life, both moments of pleasure and pain? And Brand said this, this last group of people didn't surrender to their pain. They didn't allow themselves to be consumed with guilt or despair. They faced this terrible disease of leprosy with courage and strength that the other group didn't have. You know why? Because instead of focusing on why they were suffering, they focused instead on a God that could heal them from their suffering. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. Throw away that anger at God. Throw away the situation of saying, I'm mad at you, God, and you don't even exist in my world. And quit piling on the, the sin question. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God, he is a forgiver of our sins. I've said this statement many times. When you're going through hell, don't stop. Just keep on going. Because when you get through, you'll be on the other side. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
We need to remember the taste. Come on, we need to remember the taste. There's something powerful about the taste of Almighty God in our life. And I'm preaching hard tonight because I'm, I'm, I'm working hard tonight because I want to help some people tonight. I'm passionate about what I'm saying tonight. Don't you throw in the towel. Don't you get mad at God. Jonah went to preach at Nineveh and got mad because God saved a city that repented. What's wrong with you, Jonah? What's wrong with you? He sits down. He sits down on the outskirts of town, mad at God. And so God lets a gourd grow up over him to shade him because he's going to get a, he probably was bald-headed like me, he's going to get a, a blister on his head from sitting there all day pouting. And Jonah still fussed, and so God let a worm eat that gourd and said, just go ahead and sit in the sun for a while if you want to, son. But I'm God, and I can do what I want to do. And if I choose to save that city, I'm going to save this city. And they went on a three-day fast, and God saved that city. And I'm going to tell you something. There's no need for us to throw in the towel when God doesn't do it our way, when we go through tragedy and difficulties in our life and divorce and all kinds of disaster with our children. Come on now. You can't just say why and what and how come. You can't do that forever. You gotta look at God and say, whatever the situation is, I'm gonna bless your name today. I'm gonna praise you. Job said, I know, I know one thing. I know my Redeemer is alive. And I know that I'm gonna see him for myself one day. And I know that even though the skin worms destroy my body, I'm gonna see him for myself and not for somebody else because I know he is alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. I heard some, I heard some disturbing news tonight just before church. I, somebody sent me something and there's some, there's some bad stuff happening in Iran right now. Bad stuff. It's bad. And I don't wanna scare anybody. But I promise you, there's a scripture in the Bible that said, if you can't run with the footman, what are you going to do when the horsemen come? Folks, we may be on the verge of having a cataclysmic situation in our world. Don't be afraid. God's still on the throne. Don't, don't let that worry you. God's still on the throne. And the more I heard these guys talk, and they, they, they were fear mongers that were trying to talk to, to whoever was listening, and somebody sent me the tape, and I was listening to it, and I was praying all the way through it. I said, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to handle this tonight in church because I know some of you have already seen it because I'm not, I'm not savvy of all that stuff, but if I heard it, I know you've heard it a long time ago. But there's some things happening in this world. Iran looks like some of the Muslim people want to start a war to destroy and bring back their ruler, their 12th, whatever it is, the 12th leader that's going to be the, what they think is going to rule the world and probably is going to be the Antichrist. But they're trying to do this so that they'll bring back the Christ who they think will, will praise Muhammad and he will be, be named the Christ from Jesus the prophet. So here's what I want to tell you. This world is recklessly rocking right now. And we don't need to fold our hands and say, you know what, I just don't know if I can make it through this situation or not. No, 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 no. You need to remember something. The God that made you, the God that saved you, the God that brought you out is the God that's gonna keep you. Come on now, somebody. Come on. Come on. Listen to me online. That God is gonna take you over. He's gonna take us out of here. He is that kind of God. Come on, clap your hands. Clap your hands real big. Now watch how David responds to his suffering. He's not angry at God. 
He knows what brought it on him. He's, he's not dwelling in what has caused this tragedy in his life. Instead, watch what he says in Psalms 42 and 6. I love this. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, he said, I will remember you, God. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. And David said, in essence, I've lost my home. I've lost my prestige. I've lost my security. My family life has fallen apart. But I want to be healed of this pain in my life. I want the great physician to make me well. I want him to restore me to health. And so, I'm going to seek him out. Now, watch this. He said, like a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God? Not where, he knew where, but when can I go meet with God? I know the where, just tell me when. Verse four, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throne. See, David's recipe for healing, watch this now, watch this now. He remembers the taste of God. He just got a different taste. He remembers going to church. He remembers the way he felt when he worshiped. He remembers the joy and the excitement of being in the presence of other worshipers. You know, many pastors, and I'm not one of them because I don't think I'm egomaniacal like some people are. But many pastors like to think that preaching is the highlight of worship. Some preaching I heard is not the highlight. <laughs> but preaching serves its purpose in worship. Preaching helps, us, preaching helps us to focus on God's will for our lives. But stay with me. But you can turn on radio or TV any time of the day and get some pretty good preaching. As valuable as preaching is to worship, our real purpose here is to taste God. And if we don't taste God in this house, then we have failed. That's why music comes first. That's why praise and worship comes. Because praise and worship is an important part of the kingdom of God. We sing our courses, we feel his presence. We pray our prayers, we're ushered to the throne. When we have fellowship with other people, we walk with the redeemed. When we choose to worship him, we're surrounded by his love. When we pray for the needs of other people down here, we're open to his divine healing. When we take communion, we're eating in his presence. And when we hear the spoken word, we receive God's word order for our life. Each and every aspect of worship is like an individual serving at a grand dinner. It's a seven course meal and each part helps us catch a different flavor of God. Did you enjoy worship tonight? Did you enjoy the praise and worship? Did you enjoy being prayed for up here tonight? Come on now. Did you enjoy praying from your seats while they pray for people? Did you enjoy tonight walking in here with worshipers? Did you enjoy having fellowship with brothers and sisters? Did you enjoy that? Have you enjoyed the word of God so far tonight? Isn't it great to know that God's got a smorgasbord of blessing because the taste of God is awesome to our lives. I'm sorry I'm preaching so fired up, but I'm fired up. I read once of a letter to an editor of a newspaper where someone complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. And the person wrote, I've gone for 30 years now, and it's, by this time I've heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time. The pastors are wasting theirs by giving sermons at all. 
started a real controversy in the letters to the editor, and most of the lie to the editor. And it went on for weeks until someone wrote this clincher. He said, I've been married for 30 years now. In that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I can't recall what menu was for a single one of those meals. But do I, but I do know this. They all nourished me and gave me strength and I need to do my work. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. If my wife hadn't given me those meals that I forgot the menus of, I'd be dead today. And without the church of the living God. Come on, oh, taste and see. Come on, oh, taste and see. David said in this psalm, I am in a pretty tough place in the midst of one of the most difficult times of my life. He knows he needs God. And he remembers the time when he tasted of God and that memory sustained him and it nourished him and it gave him the strength he needed to survive. Dr. Charles Allen was having a dinner one night with an octogenarian. And that octogenarian showed him a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. I got it here. Same picture. Looking to the Lord of the heavens. There he is. Now, what people may not know is that Daniel was probably 89 years old in this picture. Now, he didn't show him that old, but he was. He probably came to Babylon when he was about 20. They stayed 70 years. And this was the year before they went back home, he was put in the lion's den. So 69 years into his pilgrimage there in Babylon, he's put in the lion's den. He's an old man. But in a lion's den, he was calm and serene looking up because he still had a taste of Almighty God even in a strange land. What I want you to do, no matter what comes around you, no matter what growls, no matter what paws at you, just keep serene and keep looking up. Don't get angry. Don't cast God aside. Don't pile sin on your life and say, well, I don't deserve this anyhow. Just keep looking up because God's got you covered. And the next morning, the king said, Daniel, you all right? He said, I'm fine. I'm all right. And an 89, 90-year-old man was led out of the lion's den, and he got to go back home to his home country. Here's what I want to tell you something. There's going to be stress. There's going to be hard times in our lives, in this life. But when those happen, put your hands behind your back, look up, and say, I trust you. You are my God. There's nothing like you. See, it's the flavor of God that makes all the difference to us. Pagans have never experienced that, but if they ever did, it'd change them. That's why David said in 34 and 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Turn to your neighbor and say, Blessed is the person who trusts in him. Randy, if you'll help me. Every year at a liberal University of Chicago Divinity School, a school of higher education, there's a picnic lunch held outdoors on a grassy area. And each year the school invites a special theological giant to come and lecture the students and the faculty while they eat. And one year they invited Dr. Paul Tillich, who spoke for two and a half hours proving that the resurrection of Jesus was false and phony. And he quoted scholar after scholar. Remember, it's a liberal university. (laughs) 
He quoted scholar after scholar and book after book until it's concluded that since there was no such thing as a historical resurrection, the religious tradition of the church was groundless emotional mumbo-jumbo, he called it, because it was based on a relationship with the risen Jesus, who in fact, he said, never rose from the dead in any literal sense. He then asked if there were any questions. And after about 30 seconds, an old dark-skinned preacher with a head of short-cropped white hair stood up in the back of the auditorium. This is what he said, Dr. Tillich, I have one question, sir. He said as all eyes turned toward him, he reached into his sack lunch and pulled out an apple and began eating it. Dr. Tillich took a bite of the apple. My question is a simple question, another bite. Now, I ain't never read them books you read, another bite. And I can't recite the scriptures in the original Greek, another bite. And I don't know nothing about Niebuhr and Heidegger, another bite. And he finished the apple. All I want to know, Dr. Tillich, is this apple I just ate, was it bitter or was it sweet? And Dr. Tillich, you're ahead of me, aren't you? Pause for a moment and answer the exemplary scholarly fashion. He said, I cannot possibly answer that question for I haven't tasted your apple. And the white-haired preacher dropped the core of his apple into his crumpled paper bag, looked up at Dr. Tillich and said calmly, neither, sir, have you ever tasted my Jesus. <laughs> Somebody ought to clap about that. Anybody ever tasted Jesus? Oh, taste and see. There was over a thousand people in that auditorium that day and they erupted with applause and cheers. And Dr. Tillich thanked the audience and promptly left the platform. It's that taste of Jesus that makes all the difference in our life. Folks, this is real. This Jesus is real. This is not fake. It's not phony preaching. It's not emotion preaching. Although I get emotional preaching about him. This is real. Jesus is the real deal. There's no one like him. He's incomparable. He's inexhaustible. He's phenomenal. He's blessed. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He's coming back for us. I looked in the back of the book and we win. Come on, you may be going through some of the toughest times in your life, but don't blame him. Don't hurl accusations against him. Don't pile on the sin against your own life. Don't quit on him yourself. He'll be there for you. He'll be there for you. He's gonna be there with us till the very end. Somebody get on your feet and clap your hands and rejoice in the fact that Jesus is all right.
Remember the taste. My mother used to give us something. I forgot the name of it because I didn't want to remember the name of it. (laughs) But it tasted horrible. That's it, castor oil. That's it. That's it. Thank you for reminding me. And one day I got smart enough to say, if you're going to give me that, Mama, give me something sweet after that. And she started giving my brother and I candy. Hershey's with almonds. After that. Thank you, Mama. You didn't do it all right, but you did that right. Some of you got a bitter taste in your mouth. Come on back to church. You're here tonight, but come on back in your spirit. Come on back to church. Taste and see that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Why don't you just turn around, let's have a little love feast right here. Just tell somebody, wow, I love coming to church with you. Come on, just tell people. Come on, tell people all around you. I love coming to church with you. Come on, tell somebody. Aren't you glad we're in church together? Aren't you glad we get to fellowship together? Aren't you happy about Wednesday nights at CLC? Aren't you thrilled about it? Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. Now, before you leave tonight, before you leave, I got to tell you, next Wednesday, you don't want to miss it. I I, I don't hardly ever do this because you folks show up. But you don't want to miss next Wednesday night. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a it's gonna be a barn burner next Wednesday night. We're gonna have some church here next Wednesday night. And I'm not bragging on myself, but we're gonna have some church here next Wednesday night. God's gonna do some things next Wednesday night. I feel a I feel a healer's gonna come in this house. I've been praying for healing. Now let me tell you something, one more thing before you leave. Church is Sunday. Don't bring your hat and put it on the chair and leave. Come on, show up. 9, 10, 30, noon. Let's have church. We did, we did between 23 and 2400 Sunday. It's a great day. But we can do better than that. We can get on the 26, 27, 28 side. Come on, let's do it. Let's show up. We're having a baby dedication. We have a lot of guests on Sunday. But let me, let, me, let me announce something to you now. Let me announce something to you. We're starting our prayer. Our prayer on Monday October, I mean September 30, October, September 30, 29th is the last Sunday of the month. We're going to pray here that Sunday in the prayer room, Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 6 a.m. right here. We're going to, we're going to finish our tithing in prayer, and we're going to conclude on the 6th of October. Pastor will be preaching that Sunday. We're going to have a great, great Sunday on the 6th of October. I'm going to be talking about some things that are necessary for this church to have a fabulous fall, a fabulous three months. We're going to be rolling here. We're going to be going, so you want to make make preparations to be in the house of God. Early morning prayer, September 30, all the way through that Friday. Then on the Saturday, we'll meet at 9 o'clock as per normal. And on Sunday, we'll finish in the prayer room, but we're going to have eight days of prayer to continue and pay our tithing on 365 days of the year. All right? You with me? I love you. Let's lift our hands. Father, I bless this congregation right now. I thank you for them. I honor them. They're a blessed people. I'm a blessed pastor. I'm so honored to get to pastor them, God. I give them favor tonight. I give them grace. 
and God forgive them of their sins. Let them ask and they'll be forgiven in Jesus' name. Heal us tonight, God. Touch us tonight, God. And let us never get angry and throw hurling accusations against you. Let us not pile on with sin when we have a problem. But let us trust you and believe that I'm going to get back to God's house and I'm going to get that taste in my mouth again. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Don't be in a hurry to leave. I love you. God bless. You're the most awesome people in the whole world. Have a great, great night. We'll see you Sunday in the name of the Lord. Ladies, sign up. Have a gallon.